0: Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Our Show. Today, my special guest is Allison Carmen, and we're going to be talking about her new book, A Year Without Men, a 12-point guide to inspire and empower women. After decades of fighting to free themselves from male-dominated social and economic structures, such as the glass ceiling and pay equality, women still struggle but many are poised to rise up with innovative ways to approach the many problems facing today's world. A World Without Men is an essential guide to every woman's success and liberation. Sharing many stories of her own life as well as those of her clients, Allison demonstrates how women can become fully realized Oops, excuse me, sorry about that, folks. I realize so that the, so that every choice that they make is not from fear but from strength. She provides exercises for women to incorporate all of the lessons and wisdom from this book into their daily lives in ways that don't require a complete life overhaul. For more information, you can visit Allison's website, which is www.allisoncarmen.com, and that's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-C-A-R-M-E-N dot com. And with that, I'd like to welcome Allison to the show. Good day, Allison.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it.
0: It is my pleasure. And would you believe that it is almost seven years since we spoke. Uh, you're on my show uh, December 15th, 2014, talking about the gift of maybe.
1: Wow, that's a long time. I'm a very slow writer, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you continue. So, and, and it seems, of course, from reading your book, that you had a few things going on in between <laughs> that may have influenced uh, that so um i'm looking forward to talking about this of course um when sarah sent the information about it i thought a year without men Hmm. (laughs) what what could i say (laughs) about that (laughs) but anyway it's going to be i think we're going to have a really good conversation so i guess the first thing i'd like to do is for would you mind share with the listeners um what happened At the beginning of that year, um, that that kind of set the stage for what was to follow.
1: Sure. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, now that the book has come out, the title seems to kind of create a different thought process for each person. Um, You know, what does that mean, A Year Without Men? And, And what's so interesting about the title is that was just my experience that I had that opened me up to all these places that, women are not empowered, and all these places that were not valued or accepted. And then it helped me create a path for myself and hopefully others that we can have a different way to be in the world where we love ourselves and value ourselves more. So it's funny, A Year Without Men is just an experience. I'm not promoting it, uh, but for me that's how the realization (laughs) occurred. Um, But I just think the title, well, it gets people talking, I guess. But for me, you know, it's so interesting. If you would have called me up on June 29th, 2018 I would have said life is good I my career was going really well I was doing consulting and coaching both my daughters were great um my you know the gift of maybe was still you know people were buying it and talking about it and I thought I was in this really committed loving marriage of of 27 years and just like the unexpected comes into our lives we don't know what's going to happen and and usually I think sometimes we don't realize that it's going to happen because then maybe they wouldn't dig as deep as we do, you know, in life to learn these mm-hmm. very difficult sometimes lessons. But June 30th, 2018, my husband came home from the gym and he looked at me and said, I want to have sex with other women. We could still have family holidays and family vacations, but I'm leaving you. And, it, you know, people sometimes say, oh, you saw it coming. I didn't see it coming. I, I had no idea. I, I thought we were best friends. I had a life planned with retirement and grandkids. And I guess his, his plan was different. And I'm a very sensitive person and a very heart-scented person. And I remember when he said it to me, I looked at him, and I was like, you're kidding, right? And he's like, no, I'm not kidding. And I just, I just fell to the floor. And I actually felt a real physical crack in my chest. And I remember looking at the wall thinking if I could get there and bang my head against it, it would hurt less. And I think that of all the things Mm. that have happened in my life, it it was the most devastating. And even though I had all these tools about dealing with uncertainty and acceptance, you know, we have these moments in our lives that they're still painful and they're still suffering. And so for me, you know, that's how it began. And then literally within a two-week period, my biggest client of 25 years who was a man – He stopped speaking to me. He was selling his business, and I was already off a board that was predominantly men, and I had moved on to help this organization that was female-run. It was a not-for-profit, and then literally five days after that, I got invited to be the chief financial officer of a day hospital for women, and it was woman owned women-run, and only women patients. So literally within a two-week period, my life flipped, and there were practically no men in my life, and... And that's where the title came from, A Year Without Men, because it was a year, and it was a painful year, but it was also a year of growth and a year of learning and a year of seeing how I was in the world, and I thought that I was doing my best, but and I was, but I was compromising, I was hiding, I wasn't fully empowered because I wasn't fully welcomed in the business world the way I think men are, and so... I had a lot of beautiful realizations, and the book is really my my experience, my journey, and hopefully a path to inspire and empower other women to do the same.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I, it it was inter- interesting as I was reading, you know, how it how life unfolded um, in the way that it did for you, in in the the contacts that you had, and and one of the things that struck me is. That there was one point um in the book that you you had talked about that it um that some of the effects that it was it was there was a very it was very freeing there were things that you you know would um would have normally done but i mean you know that it was liberating you know and and it seemed like there there was um that you um Had I want to say, I may not say this right, but it was like you compromised, you know, what what you really wanted, or maybe even forgot some of the things you know that you really wanted. Because it seemed to me that it was like, you know, I don't have to answer to this, I don't have to do that, I don't have to do that. So I mean, it sounded like um, there were a lot of things you were doing uh, or, or that you maybe didn't have to do or didn't want to do.
1: Yeah. That, well, am yes, I that is, reading that wrong? A, yes. No, no. It's a, it's a really great point. I think the first thing is sometimes when you lose something that you think is your breath, you think it's your everything, you think it's the thing you need to survive. When it's gone, it's kind of scorched earth. And you kind of have this attitude for a bit, I have nothing to lose. And, and so that kind of happened to me in a way that was just the thing, one of the things I cared about the most was, most was gone, And within that was pain and grief, but also a freedom to not hold on as tight. So that's, I think, an interesting Mm. experience with people who who have a loss do, um, you know, kind of have that experience. But also, I I think what happened, you know, I started my career as a lawyer, and I found it very hard. I found that I wasn't really welcomed the same way. It's almost like You know, women and men, since 1991, you know, we graduate college at the same rates. But if you look at, you know, the S&P 500 companies today, you'll find only 5% of the women are, 5% of the CEOs are women, and only 20% of the board members are women. And when women start off with men, I think uh, two to one men get promoted uh, in the first five years. So it's like, we're welcome on the playing field, but then we're not treated fairly. And I think I found it to be very harsh. And I left that large law firm and I went on on my own and then I had a spiritual awakening. But I think because I always found it difficult, there were things that I would do. Maybe I wouldn't always speak up the same way. Maybe I don't Mm -hmm. always dress the way that I wanted to because I felt inhibited, how people would judge me. Um, there were so many things in life I think that we compromise on and then we find a way to hide. And, and for me, maybe in a way, I hid behind my marriage in certain ways. I mean, a lot of people would, would laugh. They'd be like, oh, my goodness, Allison, you were really out in the world. But, you know, I was but not fully empowered. I, I think that there were things that I didn't have to deal with. And when he left, I had to deal with everything. I had to deal with every fear, every insecurity, every place I didn't love myself, every place I didn't value myself, And I had to stand on my own two feet. So it really was a day of reckoning for me. And like I keep saying, very, very painful. But at the same time, probably today I stand stronger than I've ever been, more resilient and more love for myself. I, You know, my heart still hurts a lot. But, you know, I guess that's life. there's always, you know, a mixture of of all these things that happen at once. So, yeah, there was freedom and there's strength um, that came out of it. But also it's a choice. Um, You know, we have a choice in those moments, too, because I could tell a really good story that, you know, my husband left me and my life will never be the same and the life I expected is not the life that I have. And so every day I have to be really careful to embrace the unknown, embrace what's possible and not fall into that, that story that a lot of us do because we don't expect what happens in life.
0: Yeah, you know, and you know, it just seems that you know, first of all, the idea, you know, when you when something you just love so deeply, you know, and so completely is gone, you know, and then it's with really any loss, you know, whether it be, you know, a breakup of a marriage or, you know, just even the passing of someone that you love, you know, there is that 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 grief, you know, that that that. You know that's gone. You know, but and and along with that, the expectations you that you envision, you know, in the years to come, you know, with that in that particular space. so. I mean, it 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 really just changes, um, just uh, you know the way that you thought things were going to unfold. You know, and and I think that you know the key, one of the key things you know in this is that you know. Um, I think it points more to living in the present, you know, and, and that you know, puts so much um, stock in a future that may or may not happen.
1: Yeah absolutely. And and the problem with the present, right, is that if we're worried about what's gonna happen next and worry about the future, we can't be present. And that actually goes back to my original book, where we originally met, The Gift of Maybe and What's so interesting is that when I first learned that my husband was leaving me, I couldn't sleep. And the gift of maybe was by my bedside. And I remember I picked up the book and I went into the bathroom and I was crying and I I just almost couldn't breathe and I started to read the book. And I got to page six and I was looking at my biggest fears and one of them was, would my husband always love me? And I don't even remember writing that. Like, I don't remember it being a thought. I, I, I was like, who put this in the book? And, and it was really weird because, you know, I was in so much pain that, like, I wasn't thinking about maybe and uncertainty and acceptance. I, I was worried about, like, making it to the next moment. But I remember right. that moment mm-hmm. I thought to myself, oh, life still has maybe. And it was weird because I didn't totally feel it, but I remembered it. And and it, it just kept ruminating in my head. And then I remember I was at the motherhood center, the the day hospital that I was working at. And believe it or not, the owner the CEO was a psychiatrist. I had never worked for a doctor in my life. And there I was in the middle of New York City sitting with one of the lead psychiatrists in the world. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> God worked in mysterious ways. And I remember, um, I, and we were friends as well. We had been friends for a few years. And I remember I would say to her in between meetings, I think I'm dying. And she would say, you're not dying. And I would say, yeah, I think I'm dying. And then the next meeting would start. And it, it was like literally therapy in between meetings. But I remember there was a break. And I went into an office and I started to think about, you know, this, this woman, the psychiatrist and what was happening. And I remember there was a story about a fellow whose wife had died. And I remember I gave him the gift of maybe immediately. And he came up to me and he's like, mm-hmm. "Alison, I, didn't, I hated your book. My wife is dead and, and she passed away and there, my wife doesn't have any hope. And I remember I felt so awful. Like, are there times in life where we have no hope, where uncertainty isn't our best friend? And then about six months later, he came back to me and said, Alex, you know, I loved your book, changed my life, because hmm. there was a point where I realized I'm still here, and maybe there's something left for me. And he, had a, he ended up having a girlfriend, and he said to me, it doesn't mean I love my girlfriend more than I love my wife. It's just here I am, and I thought maybe. And I think that was what allowed me to be present after a while, was this idea that uncertainty is my best friend, because if I want my life to change, it has to happen in the unknown. And I believe in maybe. I believe in that concept of possibility. And so what would happen is that when I would start to worry, how am I going to make it on my own? How am I going to get to the next day? I would say maybe things will get better. Maybe it will just change. Maybe I don't know the answer. And it would click. It would give me hope in my heart. And it would click off the future projections a little bit. And I would become present. Mm-hmm. And when, when I was present, I was able to get through the day. Because a lot of times, some of our pain is in the moment, but a lot of times, some of our pain is the story that we tell about what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. And so I went back to my, my original, you know, practice. And, and I also talk about the book, in the book that, you know, men and women fear uncertainty, I think, just as much. But because women don't have equality in the workplace, when we fear the unknown, we have more problems because usually we have to be creative about the risks that we take, whether we're going to start our own business, how we're going to deal with childcare, how we're going to make it in a male-dominated industry. So this idea of uncertainty and when we kind of have a better relationship with it kind of saved me, you know, when it came to the end of my marriage, but also invigorates me and gives me hope and possibility to enter into any meeting, no matter who's in the room. And that was my hope that women would be able to cultivate a better relationship with uncertainty and, and kind of master you know, their emotions a little bit better and be more present to take the opportunities that come their way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, you're right. Um, that there, you know, that it's a fear, you know, the fear of uncertainty is, is, uh, not gender specific. Um, but, um, do, do you think that, um, um, part of the, uh, component of fear, for women that makes it a little bit more, um, uh, present for, for women is that the, um, the uncertainty of is uh, judgment, you know, it seems like judgment, um, of, you know, what one's actions will bring about seem to influence, uh, have a big influence on fear. So, I mean, and, and, and with women, versus men, um, the idea of judgment. I mean, I, you know, I, do, do you feel that women um, are, are more sensitive, to, just as, in, you know, this is a generality, but, I mean, even just not saying women, just saying the feminine side of things um, that um, tends to take judgment more, to internalize judgment more so than not?
1: Well, well. I have a lot of things to say about that. For, first of all, okay. I um, and that's a great question. No, it's a great question. I, I love the question. Um, first, I, I think that women are judged more. Um, you know, it's really interesting in an office. You know, um, it's almost like we're we're too quiet, we're too loud, we're we're too emotional, we're we're too cold. It it's I believe that you know in a way, corporate America was made by men for men. And I think Mm. there's not a really clear place for us to put our power. So I think there's a judgment that there's kind of no place for us to kind of totally be without being judged. And I think women are also judged more on their looks. Um, You know, there was a great study, a couple of studies that I I wrote in the book that they did all these studies about whether women who are better looking get further along in corporate America – And there was one study that came out uh, that said women do better earlier in their career, but when they get to the C-suite, if they're good-looking, they're judged more harshly. And there were other studies that said the exact opposite thing. And and the reason why I think all the studies were not conclusive is because I think women are just judged, and it's kind of chaotic, and it's just literally that they're Hmm. they're women. Um, So I do think that women are judged more harshly uh, to begin with. I think um, what's also interesting is that, this whole thing that women are more emotional, but in, in my experience in the workplace, yeah, women might cry more easily, but in my experience, men yell more, or they could be more res- have more resentment, <laughs> right. and I have never, mm-hmm. ever broken up a fist fight between two women, and I have between men in the office, so I just think, like, it, <laughs> uh-huh. it's really how right. you define emotion. I find overall men are more emotional, because if you kind of take all emotions, you know, into account, I find that it's right. just in my experience, because there are a lot of great men out there. I've worked with wonderful men, but the behaviors that, you know, I find I don't mind emotions. I just mind when you put your emotions on someone else. Like, you know what I'm saying? So if you're stressed, right. that's okay. Mm-hmm. You can tell your coworker you're stressed. But when you start putting it on someone else and you act rude or mean, so I think it's really interesting that I don't think women are judged fairly. And then what happens? So, you, you know, you're in a situation, maybe you're not judged fairly, and then you get to the workplace, And you see that your male counterparts are making more money. You see that they're Mm -hmm. advancing more. You see that maybe the boss is treating them better. After a while, you look at yourself and you're like, it must be me. And that's where the sensitivity comes in. Because I think women end up doubting themselves more. Because they're looking around and saying, look, I have the same degree. If I was so great, I would be the CEO. And that's where I think we kind of fall off the wagon. That we start to value ourselves the way our outer circumstances are telling us who we are what we are and what we can do and it's a really tricky thing but i do think this is a time in this country where we can transcend it where women could kind of kind of disconnect from those outer messages and kind of cultivate the strength and resilience because you know a lot you know i think there is the i think women are great business women i think they're emotional warriors and i think we just have to stop listening to the outside world and kind of forge ahead and i but i also think systems need to change i think societal systems need to change the the social contracts that corporate America has with its employees needs to change, but um, a lot needs to change, I guess. But I think women are judged more and then they end up judging themselves more in the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I can understand, I, mean, I think like what you said way back then, that the, the corporate world is really built for, for men, you know, by men, for men kind of thing. So that anything that intrudes on that, I mean, and, and it's, it's a structural you know um
1: uh and,
0: and societal kind of you know conditioning you know as right. far as when it comes to um roles you know what you know the various roles are and 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 I agree with you as far as being women being judged more um, i mean it's and um I, I don't, I see i don't know how how would how do you start
1: well, I, I, there,
0: there are a couple of things there. I was going to say, how do you start to deal with that? But I mean, for for you, you had the the gift of being in a um, highly, you know, an environment that was highly women. I mean, a lot, majority of women. I mean, was all you women. Had all women. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah,
0: and um, so I mean, you had that gift of being in that particular environment. So. The, in in those organizations um how did those how did the female led organizations differ from the others like the lawyer kind of situation that you're in you know how, how what what's the the differences between um management style and and how did those environment the environments affect you how, how does that new female environment affect you
1: uh, well yeah oh, well i have to say that i i found the all women environment you know there was a story that i remember i was at one of my first meetings and it was a very high level meeting and it was all directors and one of the women at the meeting started to cry and as she was crying nobody cared and I'm looking around the room as if I've entered into this alternative universe because I've always been, you know, working with men and women. Mm-hmm. And, she, and she was crying. She was talking. And she was saying some really great things. I was very distracted, though, by her tears. And no one else was. And no one said anything. And no one cared. And I thought that was really interesting. There, there was, there's more of an acceptance of emotions at, at this place. Of course, we have to remember that it's a day hospital. We're treating, um, you know, women who perinatal Uh, Mood Mm -hmm. disorders for women, you know, women before they give birth, uh, when they're pregnant, after they give birth. Uh, But even so, I I think that the model there is, you know, you could share with me your stress, you could share with me your worry, but you can't put your behavior on me. And that's where I'm going to draw the line. You know, bad behavior is not okay. And there's um, a lot of effort towards respect. But the thing that's most fascinating about the Motherhood Center is that we recognize, like, equity. You know, like women and men, they are different. Mm. You know, women give birth. And women often have more child care responsibilities. And that's the way still our society is set up. So there are a lot of women that come to us and they're like, well, I have a I have a child at home and I can only work from 9 to 3. And the response of the Motherhood Center is, let's see if we can make it work. And I find my mm. experiences in corporate America was more like, you can be here, but you have to be able to compete with him and him and him and him. And him and there's there's not always this um kind of space for the fact that i'm a mother uh i have responsibilities for a sick parent i have this i have that so kind of what the motherhood center does is it takes into the takes into account the life of the employee as well and we really try to focus on like you know life work balance and look women have come a long way in a lot of companies and things have gotten a lot better but we still haven't dealt with a lot of these issues. And these are the issues that are very problematic. And even now, when you look at, you know, this post, hopefully this post-pandemic world where women and men are being offered virtual work. And if you look at the success of virtual work, men, you know, when they do studies, men had a better time at home. They felt more productive. They felt they got a lot of work done, yet more women quit their jobs and more women, had less focus because they had child care duties, their child, many of their children were not at school. They had domestic duties on like cleaning up and stuff. So now I'm very concerned that women are going to choose more virtual work, not because that's what they want, but that's because it's their only choice. Because, you know, there's mm-hmm. no universal child care and corporations aren't helping out and domestic, you know, duties are not shared at home between men and women. So I think we're constantly um, – on the short end of the stick and that's why we have to start thinking about it and talking about it and uh, to see if things could be different but I I find the atmosphere I'm in much more collaborative and understanding and much more committed to um, emotions and and work-life balance and that's my hope and I hope that for men too you know this book is female-centered but it's no way against men my hope is that men have the same experience that you know, I, I believe if you're in a company where they're not treating everyone equally, one day it'll be you. I mean, there are only very few people who make it to the top, right? So every man and right, woman right. could get sick or they could have a sick child at home or a sick parent, and we all should want that equality and that equity and for everyone to be, you know, treated fairly because one day it'll be us as well. And um, so I think corporate America needs to change for for everybody.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you there. And, and. You know i um, and then I can understand your fear about um women um coming back out of this pandemic that women were going to um not as quickly return to um the office kind of situation or or work outside the home kind of aspect
1: right. and uh right but but I think it's I, kind of, i just yeah. I just want to clarify I that. To like, I am all for, I am, yeah. I am like, I like working from home more than anyone in the world. It's just my worry is that <laughs> the men will return back to the physical office, and then the culture right. will be very male-dominated, and the women who stay home won't get the same raises, won't get the same opportunities. So it, it's not that I'm against virtual work. I love it. It's just I worry that it's just going to create more inequality. It's not, I, I love the choice, but I worry about the consequences
0: yeah i and i understand that and and you know in in it would be a throwback you know in a way you know with with except for the women doing work at home i mean um business work at home rather than you know just uh, right. uh, uh not boy, i don't wanna come off so as chauvinistic but but you know being <laughs> the house person- house manager um but right um and and I can see where you know that's here you know where i mean because the men are gonna you know go back uh, or go back to the office quicker and and it and it could hopefully though um, the the transition that it's going to be a, a different kind of transition you know in in the sense that maybe we won't go back to the 50s kind of um work environment you know ethos um but but maybe an enlightened one where you know we're equality is given more attention. Um,
1: Right, and that would take a commitment from corporate America, that would be a new social contract where there's, you know, where women are treated equally, we we talk about childcare, we talk about, you know, equality in management, we talk about behaviors in the workplace, we don't let people roll their eyes, you know, we look at the things that happen every day. Um, I think it's possible. I really do. You know, it's funny, I wrote this book and i point so many things out but i have a lot of hope that that we are going to change as a society and women are going to step up you know into again i think internally we need to shift but also i do believe that you know there will be external changes and and i'm very hopeful for a a better way that men and women can work together with more collaboration more equality um so i think there's a lot of potential for for good things to happen
0: yeah, I do too. I do too. And I'm, like you, the optimist, you know, in, in um, <laughs> hoping that we've learned something through this. So, although every now and then when we look around us, sometimes you wonder, what did we really learn? <laughs> but uh,
1: um,
0: <laughs> we're actually halfway through the show already, Allison. This is kind of flowing by really fast. So I want to take just a quick break. And um, I do want to invite listeners, if you would like to call in and ask Allison any questions, you can call in at six one nine seven eight nine four three five nine and for those listening live in the chat room if you'd like to have a question um feel free to type it in there um and then when we come back from break Allison uh, um you have a a chapter in your book called just because someone says it doesn't make it true so I want to talk a little bit about that why you um gave that um some attention okay great Okay, Okay. everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeart Radio, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc., and we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our homepage. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest is Allison Carmen, and we're talking about her new book, A Year Without Men, a 12-point guide to inspire and empower. Um, Her book's are available from amazon.com uh you can also visit her website com. and that's Allison with two l's and while you're picking up a year without men definitely go ahead and pick up her other book uh the gift of maybe which is a really great book so okay Allison we're back
1: yeah thank you so
0: excited okay great sure um okay so um that that chapter that I had mentioned, just because someone says it does not make it true um tell us um you know why you why you what does that um, perspective have to do with a year without men, how did that fit in with a year about without men
1: Well, I think you know if we go back to the discussion of women and men in the workplace and when you see that you know, men are making more money and they have more management positions and they have more, um, you know, kind of opportunities often, more than women on a whole, you start to think it's you. You start to think there's something wrong with you because if you were so great, if you were so smart, if you were so powerful, if you were so wonderful, you would have those things too. And I think um, I bought into that a lot. You know, I was out in the world and I was, you know, fighting for things that I thought, you know, that were right. But I I fought for things more for justice, but I always kind of felt bad about myself. I I never felt, you know, totally respected or totally included. You know, I'd be on a board and the guys would go out for beers. They would never invite me. Uh, You know, so it was kind of that kind of way. And then when my husband left me, uh, about two weeks after he left me, he wrote me that he left me because I was selfish. And Mm -hmm. I was such a wreck and, and I was such a mess that I believed that was true, and it really destroyed me for weeks, for weeks and weeks until I, you know, had to kind of get a hold of myself and said, okay, you know, let me look at this marriage, you know, you know I, I took care of the kids, I took care of his health, I cooked dinner, I, I worked, I was always there for him, I go, I like, and it was kind of like, where was I selfish, where was I selfish, and then like one night, four o'clock in the morning, I just had this hit, and I was like, like, oh, just because he says it doesn't mean it's true. And I realized, you know, most of my life, I think what other people said, you know, look, I had, you know, I had a strong inner world, but I would fall prey to that. I'd fall prey to going against my instinct or feeling bad about myself. And this mantra, just because someone says it doesn't mean it's true. I think women have a, uh, they doubt themselves more than men in business. And I think this mantra Mm -hmm. is is life-saving because for me, I use it before I go into any meeting. What it, It's like I prepare myself, and it's not that I don't listen to other people because you meet a lot of smart people, a lot of smart men, a lot of smart women who have great things to say. You can get great advice. You can great collaborations. But sometimes, you know, we're being put down. Sometimes our idea is better. Sometimes, you know, we have to be a little careful about what people are saying to us. And so with this mantra, all it does is, it reminds me to go check in back to myself and say, how are you feeling right now? Are you feeling whole? Are you feeling valuable? Are you feeling strong? Are you feeling stable? You know, and then when I check in and I kind of get myself back to that place, I could listen more clearly and and really say, you know, this is not about my value. Nothing that happens to me, and that's the biggest thing I learned, nothing is about my value. If my husband leaves me, he left me, it's horrible terrible but it doesn't affect that I am just as valuable as everyone else and so this mantra kind of keeps me in that place and so I can be more objective about what's happening in my life and connect more to myself and kind of connect to more authenticity and make better decisions and like I said sometimes you're going to believe what someone says to you and sometimes you won't but you won't be feeling bad about yourself and I think you'll be more connected to what's true for you and so I think it's a very powerful mantra it sounds really simple but you wouldn't believe all the times that we believe all the stuff people say about us and some of it's not so nice, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's real important. And, and I think, you know, the, the key in that one is just, you know, you, when you go in and you, when you look at it, you know, how does it make you feel, you know, it, if it makes you feel whole and better and resonates with you, then yes. Yeah, but if it's something that is it just, uh, Meant to tear someone down, or um, yeah, you have to be careful of not to internalize it. Now, do you think that um, there's a that women um, that the they internalize it more because of uh, here? I'm going back to judgment. You know that it, that it's. Um, the women. Um, when you said like women are judged more, you know, like, remember when you were talking about it and you said women right. are judged more, mm-hmm. and, and you listed the reasons. And, and I and I agree. So, do you think that maybe the idea that women are judged more um, is a um, kind of a, in a way of a reinforcement, you know, for women to judge? Does that, I, I don't know. If, um, I mean, it's like wait, judgment wait, I... is a part of. You know, the, you know what I'm saying.
1: You think judgment is part of the self-doubt? Is that what you're saying?
0: Well, I'm, I'm wondering if that, you know, if you know, if, if the fact that one is judged often would make it um, would make women more inclined to believe the, the negative things that someone may be throwing at.
1: Absolutely. And and so, yeah, you're judged more often, you're put down more often, and then you don't see the outer success as the same as the other people. So, yeah, I think it happens much more often. And then you watch social media, and it happens a lot with women's looks as well. Um, There are so many reasons that a a woman could feel bad about themselves in our society, and it takes a lot of internal work to kind of shut all those voices down and, and say just because someone says it doesn't mean it's true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um one of the areas that um that do that's important uh, when when you're talking about what happened with with your husband leaving and the there the there had to have been created some trust. Trust had to be um a factor. Uh, so uh do did his leaving um, impact your um, understanding of what it is to trust or um, did it affect your trust in, in maybe not only him but also others?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, at first, I think I was such a mess that I wasn't thinking about trust or not trust. I, my head was just,
0: you know, mm-hmm. I was in
1: so much pain. And then one night I... Um, went out for dinner with this woman that I didn't know that well. And we were sitting there and she turned to me and she said, you know, your husband cheated on you because nobody leaves their wife without having someone in in their back pocket. And she didn't know my husband. She didn't know my life. And Mm -hmm. so she was just, you know, just saying that, you know, that was her thought. But I remember at that moment, it was just so crushing because I had never thought about that. I, I just never thought about, can I trust them? Can I not trust them? I, I was just in complete pain. But when I started going down that road, it was very troubling because I realized that this breach of trust with someone that I was, you know, even though we were married 27 years, we were, we were together for 29. And if I made it mm-hmm. about who I could trust and who I can't trust, I was going to be in a lot of trouble. I was going to be in a lot of, a lot of trouble in my personal life and my business life. Cause it was always going to be about the other person. And again, most of my realizations happened in the middle of the night. It was like, I don't know, two, three, four o'clock. I don't even remember. And, And I realized at that moment that I had to trust that I would be okay no matter what. And I felt, and that moment I did feel a level of peace because I realized that if I could trust me, then I know that I'll be able to go back out into the world. And if I get hurt, I know I'll be able to trust myself and figure it out. And that's the thing. And and that's the thing, again, in business with women. It's just if we don't have that belief, we're not going to take risks. We're going to always make it about the other person. And we're not going to stay on the playing field because we're going to say, that person's not going to give me opportunity. That person lied to me. That person broke the agreement. He broke my heart. And then we're we're just going to sit home and hide Mm -hmm. under our bed. And for me, this was a really big thing. I mean, it sounds simple, right? It, I trust I'll be okay no matter what. But it's a very profound statement, and it takes a lot to get there. I think for men and women, it, it's a big statement. But that, for me, was one of the most important things that happened to me, and it allowed me to wake up and work every day and allowed me to take care of my kids and go for therapy and go out and do what I had to do because I was willing to get hurt again. That's what it means. I'm willing for you to break the agreement. I'm willing to hurt. I'm willing for all these things to happen because I want to live a full life and I want to make the best of what life gives me. But if I don't trust that I'll be okay, no matter what, it's not going to happen. And this was not an easy one to come to, but making it about him and his, his breach and making about other people's breaches just leaves me weak in in a horrible way. And knowing I could trust that I'll be okay, no matter what leaves me vulnerable but it also, but I could still be strong and resilient.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's the, you know, that was, um, that's a wonderful kind of an awakening. idea, yeah, the, the recognition, you know, of trusting in self, putting trust in self over trust in others, <laughs> you know, that, that, uh, in yeah. the sense of being able to, um, to live a full life. Um, uh, A couple other – there are a couple other topics in your book I want to kind of get to before we run out of time. Um, One of them is um, in the book you talk about expectations, how expectations can steal our happiness um, and the uh, ability of one to move forward. So um, can you talk about your your view of of expectations and and the, the pluses and minuses, I guess, pros and cons, if there are?
1: Well, and I talked about this a little before, but you know, expectations—they it, it, strangle us. They—they—they they, they kind of just—they drown us in a way. You know, uh, they make us believe that the life we want can no longer happen. They make us believe that our dreams are no longer possible, and they make us believe when the unexpected happens, doom and gloom is here and it'll never leave. And I, you know, it's so interesting that I dealt with this issue so much in business. You know, someone would come to me and they would say, you know, I thought I would make $200,000 a year this year in my business and I only made twenty five. My business is not working. And their expectation wasn't met. But what happens is it would kind of strangle their, their vision because sometimes $25,000 mm-hmm. in the first year is a beginning. And maybe you need to switch your marketing. Maybe you need to look for new clients. Like, there's so much potential. But if you don't let go of how you thought it would be, right, you're not going to be able to move to accept what's happening and move forward and look at the other things that are happening. And so I was always dealing with this idea all the time. And what had happened to me when my husband left, it was so crushing. Like I you know it's so funny, you teach a lot of stuff and you help a lot of people and then when it happens to you it it kind of just hits you from a different angle. Right? And right. and here right. I was and I, I was watching you know, I was watching myself and I saw that this this was gonna be the thing that made the difference between me moving forward or not. And it's very hard. Like there are some days where the story's still running. The story's still running about like Why do you leave me and why is this happening to me and how am I going to make it work? And, like, I, I still have to, like, catch myself and say, wait a second. That's the story of how you thought your life was going to be, but that's not how your life is. And so in this moment, you know, look, you have to feel your pain. You have to process your experiences in life. But I'm at a point, you know, three years out, that story is going to kill me if I don't let it go. And so when the story starts to run, I stop myself and say, hey, okay, you thought it was going to be that way, but that's not how it is. And I try to look at it sometimes even like a solid wall. And, you know, my life, my old life is behind that, and my new life is in another direction. And so we have to watch ourselves because expectations become broken ideas about how we thought our life would be. And if we're not careful, we're we're not going to kind of do anything new with our lives. We're not going to create new paths, new dreams. We're not going to believe in ourselves and our potential. So it's very tricky because, I mean, I could tell a great story. Like I said before, you know, my husband left. My life is over. How am I going to make it in the world? But that story does me no Mm -hmm. good. It crushes me. And so we have to be careful. We have to recognize. The most important thing is to recognize the story you're telling. Are you telling the story of how you thought your life would be? And at some point, you know, can you let that go? And I have to say that my relationship with uncertainty again saves me here because I believe in maybe. So sometimes when I get into this crushing moment where the story's running, I say, well maybe that story's not true. And what's my biggest fear? My biggest fear is that I will never be able to make it in in this world alone. I'm never gonna have enough money. I'm never gonna have another relationship. And then I'll say, But are you absolutely certain that fear is true? And I say, No, I'm not mm-hmm. absolutely certain and I'll run the maybe statements. Maybe There's more than I can't even know in this moment. Maybe everything will be okay. Maybe life will get better. And as I go through those maybe statements and I realize that uncertainty is my best friend, I find the expectations start to to drop because they're just a story and they're not real. And I become very present and I accept more and then I feel hopeful and I know that every day will bring something new. But it's a practice and I, I think that people should it's one of the most important things I think to be aware of in this lifetime is the stories we tell about our life that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, you
0: know, and, and it's yeah. You know, I I've, when it comes to expectation, I just recognize that uh, you know that it's uh, so often my expectations just don't align with the way the things unfold. And uh, you know, and and then yeah, I'm right to the point now when it, when it happened. I mean, I limit. My expectation, you know, I mean, I am hopeful and, and in things I work toward and, you know, there's things that would be great, you know, um, but uh, I think it's like you say, it's really important to, uh, to be present and recognize kind of what is happening now because every, every moment in expectation is a moment away from present. You know, you're, you're talking about
1: okay, absolutely. Um, you
0: know, a future possibility that out of infinite possibilities that could happen.
1: Absolutely. And also, too, you could still dream so big. That's why I love the idea of maybe, like, I dream really big, and then you just have to be flexible, right? And you have to be careful of the stories of how you thought it was going to happen and just allow yourself, again, to feel and, and be open. Um, but, yeah, yeah, those expectations, they, you know, they knock us out if we don't care. I know.
0: And, and it's just important to, to remember that, you know, you were talking about it the story that you tell is it's just to recognize that you're writing the story every single day. You're writing the story, you know, so, um, but it feels real. It It feels so real. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh But doesn't it feel real? That's the thing about the story. It feels so real. Like the story of what my life was going to look like, you know, like I said, the grandkids, the future, the marriage, the, this, the, that, I mean, it, it felt so real because I was in it so long um so right. it can get it gets a little tricky sometimes because sometimes our stories they seem like reality and we don't realize they're future projections right of of life yeah so The yeah. life we thought and then, we then it's
0: based on the past it's based on past yes. experience so i mean past sure. experience leads to Future expectation. You know the 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 thing is, is that every now and then, you know, there's a curveball that kind of comes in. It's like what? I did not see that happening. Um, (laughs) But now, uh, another um, topic that you 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 talk about in the book that I really kind of want to to get out there is the idea of comparison. You know, compare and despair. I love that phrase. Um, So. Can you talk to us um, about, I mean, you know, you did a little bit, you know, earlier. We we talked about um, women in the workplace versus men and comparison that. But can you talk about just the the, um, power um, that comparison can influence on us?
1: Yeah, Uh, I mean – I think we all know in, in this new world of social media, I mean, you could not get out of, you could be in your bed and knock yourself out. I mean, you could just be looking at where people are going and what people are doing. And, you know, if we have a tendency to feel bad about ourselves or bad about our lives, that's going to do it. And all that does is it, it's disempowering. We don't realize that we all have our own path and we all have, you know, our own beauty and we all have our own way. And I think when we start to compare we start to just kind of pull at the life that we think someone else has and we just kind of put ourselves down. So we have to be really careful about that. And honestly, when my husband left, it, that was like a really hard one for me. I remember in the beginning I was going on his Facebook account and, and I was looking at all these things and I was thinking about his life and what he was doing and he ended up, you know, with a woman that was 20 years younger than him. And like I, I just started, I felt actually this, this weakness you know being created inside them and then all of a sudden I was like you know listen I I need to look at me and 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 also I think sometimes when we're comparing ourselves to, to other people the best thing to ask ourselves is what do they have that I want like what what is what emptiness is that bringing up in me and sometimes it's not bringing up what you think. Sometimes you're unhappy with a situation at work. You want to change your career. You want to go out more. Maybe you're just not loving yourself more or valuing yourself enough. So we have to be careful because they're just bringing something up that, that's within us. And so we just have to be careful that it's not really what that person's doing. It's kind of what we're feeling inside. And, you know, I had to let go of that piece. I had to go back to me and my life and what was meaningful. That's the thing. What is meaningful to you? It's the most important question we can ask ourselves in this lifetime. And when we compare, we just forget. We forget what's meaningful to, to us. And so for me, it was about going back to that and figuring out what, what's meaningful and what matters. And for me, that year was about you know, healing and it was about you know, working, doing a good job at the motherhood center and honestly being a good mother. You know, I had two children that still were not they're, are, were not independent, and they needed me, and I wanted to be a good friends and, a, and a, a good child and a good, a good everything, and so I went back to that, and it was very nourishing. It was very nourishing to ask what gave myself meaning instead of looking at what was happening in the outside world, so we need to be careful, and especially with women, you know, there's a lot out there that can make us feel bad very easily, especially about how we look and and so we have to be careful to go back to ourselves and, and figure out what we want to do in this lifetime.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that's important, and and I, I like the um, insight that comparing can bring. Like when you were talking about, you know, looking at what it is that is missing within us when we start comparing ourselves to another individual. I mean, that's it's a great um, opportunity to. Learn more about ourselves, you know, um, yeah, not absolutely. to, not to, uh, not to um, diminish anything that we are or who we have, it, but in fact, to really kind of support who it is that we are, kind of give give ourselves clarity um, of absolutely. who we are. Yeah, yeah uh, I, I guess agree. well, we're down toward the end, of, yeah, we're down toward the end of the show, Alison. So um, that's a big question. What do you hope um, that people, now I'm going to say people, because men and women, but I would see women, would get from reading um, A Year Without Men. What, what are your hopes for the book?
1: Uh, my hope is that it will create an awareness in in women and men if they, they choose to, to read it about the female experience, especially in the workplace and, I guess, in their private lives as well and, and the places where... We don't value ourselves, we don't love ourselves, or we struggle with things and kind of cultivate strength and resilience, uh, you know, dealing with uncertainty and acceptance and our emotions and kind of allow us to find more wholeness and go out into the world to reach our full potential. And the book is a hope, right? I, You know, I don't know where this book will find people. You know, people have different experiences in life, different cultures, different social economic backgrounds. So it's just a hope that it'll, it'll touch people in a way that it will inspire them to kind of figure out what's best for them with more value and love and compassion and collaboration. And and also for men, too, I think it's really interesting for them to read the book to understand the female experience because, you know, men and women have to find a way to collaborate and work together, you know, uh, to make the world a better place for everyone. Yeah,
0: absolutely. It it's you know we can learn we can learn from each other, you know, and it's and it's um it's wonderful to be able to um get um get the the female perspective, you know, um for for men who you know just don't have women around, you know, you might want to to uh, uh, pick up the book. So, well, this has really been great, Allison, and, and I hope um, your book does really well. And I hope to speak to you again, maybe before seven years with, with the <laughs> next book. But, uh, <laughs> I'll,
1: I'll start writing the new book this afternoon. Okay, and maybe maybe four but, years. But I'll no, do my best. <laughs>
0: but no matter but no matter whatever it is, I'm going to enjoy speaking to you again. So, thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you for having me on the show. I really enjoyed it.
0: You're very welcome. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Allison Carmen. We've been talking about her new book, The Year Without Men, a 12-point guide to inspire and empower empower women. Um, Unfortunately, we didn't get to the 12 points, but... Go ahead and pick up the book and, and uh they'll be able to, she'll be able to guide you through um inspiration and empowerment. Um again, you can find out more about Allison by visiting her website, which is and That's Allison with two L's. Um, and also do pick up uh, her other book, The Gift of Maybe. I remember talking about it seven years ago, and it's a really good book. So, everyone, thank you very much for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Tune in and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at ByteRadio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Radio Me. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch